0: Merry Christmas from your ABF family. We are so glad that you have joined us for this very special online Christmas Eve service. Well, there's a few things that we wanted to let you know about. Our staff considers it a huge privilege to be in prayer support for you and your families. So please text us at 97000 for confidential prayer support. Well, if you would like to learn more about what is going on here at ABF and all the various ministries that are happening, we encourage you to go to our website at agorabible.org and take a look at all the things that you could get involved in. We've got the men's and women's Bible studies and the online ones. They're all kicking off this new year. Well, as you know, there are just a million things and a million things that are going on here at AVF. And you know none of those things would be possible without your generous financial support. Well, as you know, we're trying to tackle a bunch of these year-end special projects. And so we would just ask you to prayerfully consider how you might participate. You're welcome to go online and hit the Give tab if you'd like to participate. Well now, right before we dive into God's word, we'd like to show you this video clip. It is one from the chosen Christmas special, and it is a a picture of the older Mary as she's reflecting on the birth of Jesus. So go ahead and take a look. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed, and he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy.
1: Wow that uh clip always gives me chills just hearing the the words of Mary and her response and again just want to welcome you thank you thank you for joining us online for this uh, Christmas Eve. It's kind of an abbreviated time because when we're in person there's a little bit more music but still want to spend a little bit of time in uh, God's word and uh Really, if you think of where we're coming from in this little short Christmas series, last week we ended talking about the arrival of Jesus Christ and just what a a shocking event that was. And really the appropriate response to that uh, was bending a knee. So at the end of the the service, we had the opportunity. It's kind of neat even here in the uh, services to see people just bending a knee in response to the arrival of Jesus Christ. And just as we uh, continue, if you think about that, the appropriate response uh, to his arrival in bending a knee, what that is, is a demonstration of worship. That's always been the response to an encounter with Jesus Christ, It is worship. That's the appropriate response. You can think about the account of uh, Christmas, whether it was the angels uh, just breaking out in worship, or it was uh, Simeon, you, you have... Uh, Worship is an appropriate response and still present day. Maybe that's why there's such a bent towards Christmas carols. I don't know about your uh, car radio, but ever since, I think it was November 1st in the Kegel car, we've had some form of Christmas music playing because we're wired to worship in response to Jesus Christ. Well, this week we're getting a, a chance to look at the worship response of Mary and you think about her getting the the news after uh encounter with the angels the 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 encounter and realizing that whoa she was going to be the mother of the Messiah so she breaks into song so similarly similarly a response and so we covered that whether it was the Christmas uh the Mary monologue at the Christmas cafe or this video clip here both were seeing the original Christmas music or worship started With Mary, So there's much we can learn about worship here, uh, just in a time in the text, but let me just pray before I explain a little bit further. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to gather around your word and spend some time just uh, remembering the extreme measures that you took to come be with us. And then the appropriate response of bending a knee, of singing out in worship as we'll see today, because we want going into Christmas this weekend, we want to be worshipers. We want to really engage in this Christmas, not just let it uh, blaze past us, but slow down enough to spend time just praising you and worshiping you for what you've done. We ask that that happens even in our time in your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, well, just a a little background of this account of Mary with this song that you saw played in that video uh, clip, or just a knowing or reminder of where she's coming from. Remember, she's just a a teenage girl. She's growing up in a small town, uh, kind of if Journey were singing about it, just be a small town girl growing up in a Roman world. But here's the, the idea. She grew up in this just tiny kind of set-apart village, trying to navigate what it looks like to be poor, what it looks like to be under heavy-handed heavy Roman rules. So she's there. She's engaged to be married to Joseph, and in that time, while she's engaged, she has the arrival of an angel coming to announce the amazing news to her. We don't know if she'd ever had an encounter with an angel before, but this would have been a memorable one. And that angel, if you remember the account, the angel explained how it was going to be a supernatural thing, that the Holy Spirit was going to be upon her, and it wasn't going to be the birth, like a typical birth. This was obviously birth of a a virgin mother. So explaining that, but what probably would have been more mind-boggling than anything was who she was going to be giving birth to. You see, she was very familiar with what the prophets had spoken about for many generations about the coming Messiah. So for her to discover this would have been one of those things that like, man, your, your brain would have been spinning. We're told in scripture in the account that after receiving that news that she rushed, we're actually uh, told that she went with haste to visit uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth uh, was her elderly uh, relative and so she, she wants to tell it, but we don't, it doesn't mention exactly the distance that we're dealing with in the, the count that it was about a, a hundred mile trip. Uh, I know I've done some long hikes before, but not a lot of hundred milers. So she had plenty of time going through heavy terrain to, to think through all that this entailed. I imagine the stress levels would have been really high, but probably a blend of excitement, but also fear. Excitement that she was going to be the mother of the Messiah, the one promised, but then also the fear of all that that entailed. Imagine what a teenager would go through. First, the fear of being one, a a poor teenage mother. Two, what does it look like to explain this to Joseph? Three, dealing with the culture in which she was placed. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter two, it had outlined the response to getting pregnant outside of marriage was the potential of someone even being stoned. So she's thinking through all of these things. I imagine a pretty stressful hundred mile hike to go see Elizabeth, but in her response Although she would have been anxious, when she finally sees Elizabeth, when she finally encounters Elizabeth, she breaks in to this most beautiful song about her excitement. It's kind of like it had been building, 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 and then it just all comes out in a form of worship and praise. And I think we can learn a lot about worship and praise from Mary's response. We're gonna walk through that in Luke chapter 1 verses 46 through 56 that gives an account of what she said. Verse 46 says, and Mary said, so this is when she's talking to Elizabeth, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So as she as she comes out immediately she says my soul magnifies the lord my spirit the very first thing that we can learn about worship is it's intended to be an overflow out of what's going on on the inside, it's a, it's kind of an expression of the heart, if you will. This is something that's been welling up in her. It's not something that she was forced to do. It's not something that's done. Uh, I, I think it's important for us to check our hearts on this often, even when we come together at church to, to worship, to make sure that we're not kind of just repeating monotonous words here I am to worship. You're like, no, that's not it. It's it's intended to be something that's an overflow of the heart. That's what we see with Mary. She uses descriptors like magnifies and rejoices. It wasn't something that was forced upon her, but something that came out naturally. Think about yourself when there's something that's amazing that's happened to you. It doesn't take much prodding or much pushing in order to get a, a celebrated response. Man, I'll tell you what, I'll even taste a new good restaurant and I'm excited to tell everybody about it. Now imagine if you found out as a young mother that you're going to give birth to the Savior of the Lord. We learn a few other things in her initial words there. In my opinion, one of the things that stirs up passion is when you actually realize what you're excited about when she describes God, my Savior. You see, she understood what predicament we are in apart from rescue. You see, there's a certain self-awareness going into worship that needs to take place in order for worship to become authentic. If you've got it all together and you've got no issues and you think you're just kind of coasting and sailing in life, man, worship is a strain. It takes some effort. But when you're actually positioned where you realize your desperate need for rescue, your fallen state, your inability to meet God's perfect standard, and that you're in a hopeless, helpless situation apart from God's intervention, man, that's what compels your worship. And we see that directly with Mary. She continues in verse 48, says, for he has looked looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, From now on, I love this, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and uh, the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Interesting. First, I thought it's interesting that she spent three months. So three months of that pregnancy was spent with Elizabeth. But what we see in her worship, her worship is compelled from inside, but then it starts, you see in the flow of things, worshiping for what he's actually done. Being aware of what's actually happened. She, first that thing that she points out is that God, noticed her, looked on her in her humble estate as a servant, basically as a teenage peasant girl, would have been only a few steps up from livestock in that culture, at least the way in which obviously they viewed a peasant girl. So she isn't somebody that's held in high esteem in that day and age. I read in in one commentary that Jewish men were quoted as praying, thank you, God, For not making me a woman. So that's the the environment that she's showing up on the scene to. But I love that God chose to enter our world through the help of a peasant teenage girl and an elderly barren woman. That's how God showed up. So Mary recognizes this right out of the gates, recognizes that in, the, the, in God's kingdom, there's no hierarchy. There's no, this person's better than another. Instead, you're seeing that she notices right away that she would be considered, and this is her doing a little bit of forecasting. She's like, I'll be considered blessed for generations to come. She realized what a huge deal this was that she was going to get to mother God in the flesh. She had a greater view or a higher view of her current complicated circumstances. Notice in that initial greeting there's no mention of, "Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What's Joseph going to say? How are we going to provide for this? How are we going to take care of this? How's the culture? How's my how are my neighbors going to respond?" Instead, It's pure celebration. You see, sometimes, as I was processing through this this week, sometimes by having a thousand foot view, when you're able to get above and see the bigger picture of what God's doing and what's actually going to matter in the days to come, all of a sudden it makes the present day circumstances not seem as looming and as, as, as sidious as they might seem otherwise. So her praise continues and it's saturated with humility. In fact, eight of the 11 lines of her song remind us of how God offers salvation to the weak and undeserving. You think about that, that God typically a a recurring theme is God's like, man, I, I work with the humble. I give grace to the humble. That's a recurring theme in scripture. And you see it here And often, if you consider that, it's only the humble person that's genuinely able to worship. Because if you think about it, proud people are too busy either worshiping themselves, being focused on themselves, and the proud person has trouble being thankful because they believe they deserve something. Well, thankfully, Mary, as we see in this song, had the right perspective. So she's worshiping God for what he's done for her, but then we also notice something in that section that she's also worshiping God for what He's done for others. You can tell she's not self-consumed. And look at what she says. It says, "And his mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. See, this is graduate level worship, shifting the focus on uh, away from me and noticing, man, not only is he blessing me with his arrival, He's blessing others. It's a blessing that's gonna have a ripple effect. And it's kind of cool that she's pointing out that his mercy is gonna bless generation after generation. By definition, mercy is withholding the justice that we all deserve. And if you think about it, that's exactly what Jesus offers, how he's going to bless people from generation to generation, withholding the justice in which is deserved. Each one of us has justice for our willful rebellion, for our going against God's plan, his design, his laws, but instead he provides mercy. I do like that picture though of blessing going from, or mercy going from generation to generation because you can think back even in your own family. Even as I talk about this, reflecting on different generations that you have. If you're a, a family that's been a, 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 a number of generations of believers, I think of my grandfather who came to Christ I, on both sides of my, my family, as well as my wife's family. I think of my parents. I think of our family. I think of my kids. You start to see, even in your own circle of experience, you start to see how it can have a generational effect enjoying the mercy that started with the birth of Jesus Christ he describes it and it's kind of interesting uh, uh, generational mercy then it goes on to she goes on to say he has shown strength with his arm I do appreciate that there's a little bit of masculine reference because sometimes I feel like worship songs can be a little bit too much conversation about the bride of Christ and my beloved. Well, she's, she's getting after it. She's like, man, one of the things I appreciate about his arrival is this demonstration of strength. It's interesting because Mary glorifies God for both his mercy and his judgment here. If you look at the breakdown here, we're being told of, of glimpses of his justice as well, not just his mercy. Justice against who? It lists three different arenas. Justice for the proud. It says the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You see, the heart attitude of self-sufficiency in the prideful person is what pushes them away from embracing Jesus Christ. That mentality that I don't really need a savior. I don't need God. I can do this. I'm independent of him. She's saying, well, he, that person's going to experience his strength and his justice. What else does God's justice oppose? Opposes the mighty, It says that they're brought down. It's interesting if you start to look Old Testament, New Testament, there's a track record of God opposing the proud, of him going against the proud. Anytime someone gets a little too big for their britches, God's like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, we're not going that route. And so we have a God that loves to provide mercy, but also as Mary makes note in her song, also a God that opposes the mighty. It also makes mention of the rich. And so the rich, when it's talking about the rich, is the selfishly rich, the person that has no concern for the needy. That person is left, as we're told in the text, empty-handed. Really, that's the curse of the selfish rich. They're never, ever satisfied. A little more, a little more never actually satisfies them. So basically, all three of these signs that he opposes are descriptions of someone that's self-sufficient, self-reliant, no need for God or His rescue. That's what God opposes. So we see that he uh, that he uh, that she worships him for what he's done for her, also for what he's uh, done for others. Last thing I wanted to point out, just kind of a cool thing and kind of an overarching theme. She also worships him for who he is, for who he is. And that's kind of a a thing that you start to notice a, a link that's highlighted throughout that entire section of worship. I don't know if you've ever received a compliment. It's one thing to get a compliment for the nice work that you did or the job that you're doing. But when someone actually takes time to slow down and acknowledge a character quality that you have, something that they notice in you that's starting to uh, mature or grow or develop. Man, that's like next level compliment. Similar as we're relating with God Almighty, not just recognizing, well, thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. Like that's awesome. But man, graduate level worship. And I'd love to see that even going for all of us going into Christmas is not just what he's done, but who he is, what his character looks like remember a number of years back being on an elders retreat and we spent a little time as kind of an activity uh, before we got into agenda items. We took some time just going around the the circle of a group of men uh, that were serving in that capacity at the time. We, We took time to just compliment and encourage each other to what we see or what's noteworthy of their character. It's a really cool kind of exercise, just having uh, just powerful times of saying, man, I really noticed this about you and the way you care for people and the, the, the way you go the extra mile to, to bless people. And I see a, 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 a faithfulness. I, I see a generosity. And it was just cool to identify characteristics. And I noticed in this section of worship with Mary is that she does something similar with descriptors of the character of God. Few things, descriptors, first one that we are already pointed to, obvious that she calls him, even before he spent time on the cross, still refers to him as savior. I was referring to one commentator uh, there that was pointing out that the term of the original language there is the fact that it's singular, that it's not a one of many. It's the one and only. It's the only hope. So she acknowledges him as Savior, I think that's an important one to notice. The only one that saves, she refers to his character as being mighty. I think that's uh, important for some of us that are overwhelmed with life circumstances, to be reminded of who are we dealing with? We're dealing with a mighty God, someone that we can trust, that we can lay our burdens before him and say, you know what? I'll control the things that are within my control, which often is very little, but the rest, I'm going to just turn over to the mighty God. When we actually elevate him as such, man, all, our perspective on our issues and drama in our life all of a sudden changes. So savior, mighty. Next one, that, word that she used to describe his character in this worship is the word holy. This so word holy is, means set apart, other, without sin, unlike us. To me, I think that's an important one with the idea of trust. When you're thinking through, you're like, well, I don't know how I can uh, trust to lean into him. The fact that he has a perfect track record, the fact that he's set apart, he's not like us. He's not us that sometimes gets it right, sometimes kind of blows it. Instead, holy means different, set apart, perfect. You're putting and placing your trust That's why he's appropriate to worship in, in someone who's perfect in all of his ways, in all of his responses. Mary acknowledges his holiness. So Savior, mighty, holy, merciful is the next one. We already described what mercy is, something that was undeserved when when you didn't get what was coming to you. And you think about even the arrival of Jesus Christ himself is a demonstration of, Of that mercy, the fact that he humbled himself to come down to be among us during Christmas on a a rescue mission marching towards that cruel cross, that's his mercy. So, Savior, mighty, holy, merciful, strong. In case, you, in case the word mighty wasn't good enough, I don't know exactly what the uh, what listing characteristics, the, the uh, differences between mighty and strong, but basically for the person that's running on fumes this Christmas, the person that's just making it, that's just keeping their head above water to know that you have a God who's strong that wants to walk through your junk with you. You weren't intended to carry all of this on your own. You have the strength of our God. I don't know, anytime I slow down and consider the characteristics and attributes of God, it's a healthy exercise. So this sweet little teenage girl teaching us so much about worship. First, that it has to start from it within. It's not something that you can fake or muster. It's gotta be coming from a genuine part of gratitude of, whoa, look what he's done for me. And when you think about that worship, it should focus on what he's done for you, what he's done for others. Man, that should make us forever grateful. And then lastly, when you're not just dealing with what he's done, but also who he is. When you're at a place in your relationship with Jesus this Christmas, that you know from experience, You've seen him as mighty. You've seen him as faithful. You've seen him as merciful. All of those things start to become not just descriptors, but experiential. And that's my prayer for us this Christmas, that we would grow in our worship, that this would be a year that we don't just blaze through the holidays without taking time to learn from Mary and to celebrate Jesus in our worship. Thanks so much for spending some time with us in God's word. God bless you and Merry Christmas.